The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, welcome back. So, so this morning we did a few things just to review. We started with a um, guided meditation to, um, to become more embodied, to become more present with the body and the breath, uh, with mindfulness, to really till the soil, to really prepare ourselves to be more present, to engage with compassion. So that's, that, that's primary. Um, and as we talk about compassion practices more, cultivation more, maybe the fir- first few minutes of every practice period that you'll do would actually be the settling. So we did that. That was the first thing we did this morning, the guided meditation to settle and be mindful and arrive more fully, be more present. Then we um, did an exercise in compassionate listening and speaking, compassionate slash mindful listening and speaking, about the topic of receiving and giving compassion. For us to actually feel what it has felt in our body, really an embodiment of what it feels like to have received compassion, to be on, on the receiving end in our lives. Um, and also what it's felt like to give, to really recognize cognitively and, and physically that it's not, you know, compassion is not something like far out there, oh, compassion, we have to cultivate it because we don't have it. It's not that. Compassion cultivation is basically about something we all know how to do. We've received it. We recognize it. We know how to give it. And we're going to learn how to orient our mind towards it more. So we already have it. It's like a, this is a fire that we all have. Excuse me. It's a wholesome, healthy, life-giving fire that we all have in our hearts. So, how do we tend the fire? How do we help it grow and, um, and be really warm? So, so the idea of compassion cultivation is, again, not about fabrication, not about creating, but it's about inclining our mind toward what, what, towards what's already there so that it becomes more natural for us, becomes a more natural response to what is happening, either for us internally, actually first and foremost, what's happening for us internally, and then for others. And I say first and foremost because self-compassion, self-care, self-love really is the basis for compassion for others. You really need to feel, learn how to fill your own cup first and be there for yourself and care for yourself and be compassionate towards the being that is you, the being that you are in charge of taking care of. You've been entrusted with this body, with this mind. I know this sounds kind of like, like a koan, but you've been entrusted with this being that is you. 
This is your child, your primary child. How are you going to take care of this child that is you? You've been entrusted. Have you ever thought about, about it that way? Like, wow. I've been entrusted with this body, with this mind. Like, I, huh. I am my responsibility. I am my number one responsibility. You are your, your own number one responsibility before anybody else's. So how are you going to be kind? How are you going to take care of this dear being that is you? So self-compassion, first and foremost, as a basis for, for other compassion to others. So, so that's what we did this morning. Uh, well, it's still morning, but that's what we did in the first session. And it, it, it's sweet. I already a couple of people have said, God, my money's worth. Okay, so we're done. Okay, day long is done. Okay, but <laughs> all right, there's a little more, lot more in store. So, so what is compassion? So, banding about the word, um, but haven't really offered a definition of what compassion is. And there are, there are different, different definitions. So what I like to actually use, so there is, uh, so, so I think, um, as has, m- m- was mentioned in the announcement, um, um, part of what I'm teaching is inspired by training that I went through years ago. And also part of what I'm teaching, a lot of what I'm teaching, is my personal practice through years of Buddhist practice. And the, the, uh, the training was compassion cultivation training through Stanford University, C-Care, compassion called, what was the C-Care? Center for uh, Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. Mouthful. Uh, so I went through that training a few years ago to teach the compassion cultivation course eight weeks, and then I've been practicing uh, in the Theravada tradition for a decade and a half. So a lot of what I'm teaching is also from my own practice and the various other things. So this is an amalgamation of, of both. So, so a couple of ways to define compassion. So first I'd like to offer the, the definition from really the Theravada tradition um, that for me it really clicks. It actually works even better because it... Um, so... So for that, I need to step back and tell you about the four Brahma-viharas. Okay, what some of you are, are saying yes, and some are like, what? <laughs> okay, so the four Brahma-viharas, the, uh, Brahma-viharas are, are uh, teachings in, in uh, Buddhism um, translated as heavenly abodes, the four heavenly abodes. The four heavenly abodes are the four qualities of the heart um, that are so wonderful that when you when you practice them, it's like you're in the heavenly realms. That's why they're called the heavenly abodes, heavenly dwellings. It's like you're hanging out in the heavenly home when you're doing these four. What are the four? Well, the first one is loving kindness, friendliness, care, love, metta, M-E-T-T-A. That's the first one. And in, in the Theravada tradition, in this tradition, metta, care, just friendliness, is the main one, is the basic one, is the underlying. It's just gentle, just basic friendliness and goodwill. Um, and you can think of that as just the basic goodwill of the heart for, for 
anyone, anyone in, let's say, in a neutral situation, in a neutral condition. Um, and that will become clear in a moment. So just goodwill. You just see someone, may you be well. You smile at them on the street. There's a sense of goodwill that you have for, for other people, okay? Metta, care, loving kindness. That's the first one of the four. The second one is compassion, karuna. So compassion is when this first one, metta, this goodwill, kindness, that you're having, it meets an individual who is suffering. When the individual is suffering or having a difficulty, that care, when it meets the difficulty and holds the sadness, pain, it becomes compassion. So care plus difficulty is compassion. Okay. I'll say, of course, we'll come back to this a lot more, but I'm just going to go through the four in a moment. The third one of the four, of the heavenly dwellings, is called uh, vicarious joy, or in Pali, mudita, M-U-D-I-T-A. And that is when this first one, metta, loving kindness, friendliness, this friendliness, goodwill, meets someone who is in a really good state. Remember compassion, they were suffering, the being was suffering. In mudita, in vicarious joy, the being is really happy, doing well in some way. They've just got the best job they've always hoped for. They're happy. So your goodwill becomes a vicarious joy. I am so happy for you. I'm happy for your happiness. The metta, the goodwill, expresses itself as happiness for their happiness. Does that make sense? So it's the same metta. It's just expressing itself differently depending on the circumstances of the people that it's meeting, right? So metta, neutral, kind of a neutral, may you be well, compassion, oh, may you be free from this suffering. The friendliness is holding the suffering. May you be free from it. May you be, may you, um, be free from this pain. May you be free from this sadness. Mudita, vicarious joy, May your happiness continue. May it never end. May it increase. I am so happy that you're happy. I am so happy you're happy. Yay. I'm happy for you. Right? It's the sense of goodwill. Right? Sharing. Okay. That's the three. The fourth one of the Brahma Viharas, of the heavenly abodes, is equanimity. Upeka. Now, upeka the word equanimity sometimes ar- arises the sense of, hmm, equanimity sounds kind of cool and chill. You're just equanimous with whatever is happening. It, so why is it sitting with the Brahma Viharas, with these other three, which are really warm, right? You've got a sense of this kindness and warmth and care. Actually, equanimity relates to them in two different ways. One is that it serves, um, equanimity does have a sense of warmth in it, even as you're sitting with the sense of ease, of the comings and goings of events in the world. Things are as they are. Things are as they are. There's a sense of care. There's a sense of presence. There's, if there was no care, equanimity would become aloofness, would completely check out, like, whoa, would turn away. But there's enough care, enough warmth to stay present with the going, comings and goings of the world. So there is that sense of care in it, that warmth. 
The other, the other way equanimity relates with, to the other three, which relates to a question already asked this morning, which I'm going to come to even more now, is equanimity serves as the basis. Is Think of equanimity as this bedrock, as this stable bedrock that you sit on to really stabilize your stance when you engage with these practices. So for compassion, if you weren't really stabilized in equanimity, in the stability of equanimity, then what would happen is that you would, as somebody, for example, is telling you about their sadness and sorrow, you would jump into the ocean with them, would be empathetic distress, right? You would be bobbing up and down in the waves. You've left the platform. You're, you're not reaching your hand anymore to, to, to help them. You're in the waves bobbing up and down. You're both now asking for help, right? Right? So, so you need the stability of the equanimity. Things are as they are. Things are as they are. Things, there are so many causes and conditions that are out of your control and out of any single person's control. There's so many causes and conditions historically, around the world, uh, the universe, physical, emotional, physics, just biological. There's so many things that have led to this whatever this is. So equanimity is kind of a bird's eye view. You can also see it as a bird's eye view of seeing all the causes and conditions that kind of allow a sense of, ah, wow, it's like this. It's like this because it needs to be, because of everything that has come before it. And and, and, um, not just before it, but everything else that's happening, this web of interconnection, that the Buddha said, if you try to to uh, think or try to understand this web of interconnection, this web of karma, like all these interconnections, your head would explode. So please don't. That would be rather messy. So please, <laughs> would rather not that happen. So so um, so yes. So coming back to the four Brahma Viharas, the first one, metta, friendliness, goodwill. May I be happy, may I be safe, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be well. Just a sense of goodwill. The second one, compassion. When this goodwill meets suffering. Suffering either in yourself, suffering in somebody else. When the goodwill meets suffering, it becomes compassion. And I'm going to say a lot more about this. So, And then just to review the third one. Mudita, vicarious joy, and the fourth one, equanimity, which is both the bedrock of all these practices, and it relates to them. And sometimes, also, when the compassion practice, it's it's just overwhelming um, in practice when you're practicing, say, um, compassion practice, the the meditation. Sometimes, if the um, Suffering is just overwhelming and your mind cannot, your heart cannot be with it, cannot really be, hold the suffering with care. That might be a time to switch to the practice of equanimity. <sighs> so that you establish that baseline, that, that, that groundedness, so that you have that groundedness and then maybe you can go back to, to compassion, to, hold, to meeting the suffering, to, to meeting the suffering with care. So now let's come back to the definition. Now that you kind of see how, ta-da, compassion fits 
with these other three, I think for me that's actually really helpful to see how it really fits and how this this help, this kindness is it can be expressed in different ways, right? Depending on what the situation is at hand. So now, specifically coming back to compassion, which which entails suffering, pain. And again, when I say suffering, it can be suffering with a big S, you know, major difficulties in, in life, or it could be suffering with small S, which maybe it's more like stress or difficulty or challenge. And, and um, the, when it's actually suffering is, one thing about, about compassion, for, the, for compassion to arise the first and foremost thing that needs to happen is that this challenge, stress, difficulty, suffering needs to be seen, needs to be recognized. If it's not recognized, there is no, I mean, compassion will not arise. There is not, it's not even called for, right? So, so why it's so important is that so much of the time we miss recognizing that somebody's having a hard time or that we are having a hard time ourselves. In fact, we tend to miss it even more for ourselves. We, we start to recognize it more for ourselves then we are more tuned to recognize it for others. It's so interesting. So I'll give you examples. Um, say, say, um, you know, I have an illness and chronic illness, and especially the first years, I wasn't quite recognizing before it came chronic. Like I would be tired. One of the symptoms is fatigue. I would be tired, and then this inner monologue would come up, like, "Oh, come on, you have so many emails to do, and you have this, and you have that, and and come on, you gotta go." Like the, I wasn't recognizing that I wasn't feeling well. I was the taskmaster. <laughs> okay, you got work to do. Go go. And then there was this feeling come up, oh, like kind of like a, like you know, like a little child who was just like, like oh, but but I'm tired. And it took a while for me to recognize, wow, this is I'm not being lazy, I'm not being whatever, um, um, avoiding work. I'm just tired. This poor body right now cannot do this. So until I could recognize that, yeah, this is. You know, until I became tuned to recognizing what was happening, then and, um, compassion wasn't even available. It was judgment. It was like, come on, let's get going. Like, and how often do we do that? We don't even recognize. Like something is hard for us. Like, come on, like do it, toughen up. Like, oh, this is really hard. Instead, wow, this is really hard, sweetie. You're having a hard time. You're having a really hard time. This is really hard for you. And then when you recognize it, then compassion can naturally flow. And then the appropriate response can naturally flow. Then you can decide what is the right thing to do. Is the right thing to rest right now for an hour or two? Is the right thing to say, okay, this is how much I can do instead of like, you know? So again, that's why the first thing we do in the practice of compassion is mindfulness because you need to be able to see clearly. You need to be able to see clearly what is going on without all these judgments, these perceptions, these filters, these um, 
filters that we have to get to get to actually recognize the filters that you have the expectations that you have of yourself over others or say um somebody somebody you know maybe a kid you know comes up and the kid is 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 sad and and crying you you wouldn't go well just you know toughen up and go back and play on that you know yard it's like oh sweetie you're hurt Right? What's going on? You're having a hard time. But often we don't recognize that in ourselves when we're hurting. Or with other grown-ups, we don't recognize that they're all actually they're suffering. Something very difficult is going on. Like, huh. So if we have we're curious if if opening up to compassion, opening up to care allows the appropriate response to come up instead of the repetitive or reflective response that we tend to have so so for compassion to arise we need to to recognize it we need to be able to recognize it and for us for for self-compassion acknowledging that this is hard that this is hard right now anyone going through this anyone in with this body with this genes with this background any other human being in these conditions would would find what i'm going through difficult or maybe you just went through a breakup and like oh just get over it oh wait a minute wow this is hard this is hard this is hard just acknowledging yeah this is hard right instead of oh it's fine i'm fine it was just just 10 years of a relationship it's i'm fine like this Right? Like to realize that this is hard. This is hard. This is hard. And compassion can be a salve. Can be a salve to really. I mean, remember this morning when you talked about the experiences of compassion, how you really felt in your body. I'm, I'm presuming. If not, please tell me. But there's a sense of, oh, compassion is this, this care, sense of, um, it's like a salve that that when there is a wound, it's like putting a salve, a healing salve. It just kind of makes things easier. It's just kind of supportive care, love. It, it's like grease around the wheels of life, the sense of care. It makes things just easier. Um, I'm reminded at this point that the Dalai Lama says... Um, I'm paraphrasing, the quote is somewhere in my notes, but going out of order, something about um, that compassion is not a luxury, it's a necessity for humanity to survive. No, it's not a luxury, it's really a necessity for all of us, both internally and for other people, for all of us to survive and make it out together. And again, in order to to cultivate compassion for for everyone, all beings around us, starting with ourselves, starting with ourselves. So, I want to say a little more about what compassion is and isn't. So, what I've mentioned already is, as a part of the heavenly abodes, is when care, when goodwill, when kindness meets suffering it holds suffering so it's both together so so for the image that i usually have is 
sitting on a bedrock, on a stable platform of equanimity, kindness holds suffering. That's the image that works for me. And that came up for me actually a few years ago when I was doing a month-long silent retreat of the four heavenly abodes. And, and that's the image that came up. Oh yeah, equanimity is this bedrock this, uh, of the, the practice and kindness holds suffering, is compassion. So now, both are needed. If, if you tap into too much suffering, either for yourself or others, without enough care, goodwill, that salve, then one could fall into empathetic distress. The, the ba- so this bedrock, this balance, is best uh, maintained if kindness and care is really actively coming in. Okay. So empathetic distress. So, so empathy is a part of compassion, but empathy is not equal to compassion. Okay, so what does that mean? So empathy, think of empathy as um, when our bodies, our, our, our mind resonates with, uh, with someone else's suffering. And it can tie into, biologically, to the mirror neurons. When you see somebody else, and the research experiments with this, when you see somebody else's hand being stabbed, ah, the, the areas in your brain having to do with feeling pain and, and like, oh, you go kind of, ouch, right? When you, you've experienced that when you see somebody being hurt, like, ouch, you kind of hurt inside, like there's this feeling of hurt. So empathy is that reson- resonance that comes up that when you're in touch with suffering. So empathy alone, if, if we had empathy alone without holding it with care, love, affection, then if you had too much empathy, you would fall into empathetic distress because it would be just like, ouch, 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 like, oh, I don't want to be with suffering. This is too hard. And that's what we usually associate with um, um, empathetic distress or compassion fatigue. In fact, it's empathy fatigue because we're resonating with the pain so much as like, whoa, it's, this is hard. Whereas when the kindness is holding it, is actually balancing it. So what does that mean? I'll give you an example. Um, this, this came, this is actually pretty, so um, this is a story i like to share. I uh, heard from Tanya Singer, who's a, um, um, a brain neuroscientist interested in, in compassion and meditative experiences. And she told this story now a bunch of years ago at the Mind and Life Conference in Denver. And the story was something like this, that um, she was studying the phenomena of compassion in an fMRI, and she had um, uh, Matthew Ricard, who's a well-known, well-established Tibetan monk, um, who uh, he um, she had him go into the fMRI machine and said, "Okay, 
for this next segment, for these measurements, um, don't do the full compassion meditation. I want you to just look at images. So some, she was going to have images in different versions. When you see the images of people suffering, just be with the suffering. Just engage with the suffering. Don't do the compassion full full on compassion meditation which has the care which has the care and empathy just 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 engage with suffering like okay it's because i want to see what is going to happen in your brain what areas what networks are going to light up okay so goes he he goes in apparently and comes out i don't know 10 20 30 minutes however long the this was and and tanya says okay we're done and and um um the story goes that um, Matthew Ebert says, I'm feeling terrible. Can you put me back in? Like, I, I feel awful. I'm miserable because I've just engaged with suffering full on and haven't done compassion, having engaged compassionately. Could you please put me back in so that I can do the compassion meditation? It feels awful. So it goes back in, does the full compassion meditation, and comes out and... Um, and you're like, oh, okay, I feel, I feel fine now. I feel good. I feel stable. So also what she was reporting in, in her observation is that there are two different networks. Uh, so when, when he was on the first part of the experiment, when Matthew Ricard was only engaging with suffering, the networks in the brain that only have to do with um, pain. So... We have networks in the brain that when, when you experience pain, either in your own body or in somebody else's body, you're witnessing their pain, the same networks will light up. Networks having, with, uh, having to do with experiencing pain. Physical, emotional, there's, there's some overlap, but pain, okay? So in the first part of the experiment, all that was lighting up were the pain, experiencing pain. Imagine how fun that is if you're doing just that for 20, 30 minutes, right? Okay. The second part of the experiment with the compassion, remember how I'm saying that the care, the love is holding the pain? Okay. So the areas of feeling pain were still lighting up, those networks. But what was also lighting up to balance it was the networks, the filial networks, having to do with care, love, um, family, just kind of like, ah, feeling supported, like, you know, the feelings of love and care, those networks having to do with those feelings were lighting up. So, So compassion practice, when we do compassion practice, the formal practice, which I will teach you um, before lunch, um, that has both of these aspects, right? So the compassion practice actually feels good. It doesn't feel painful because that for those filial feelings, the feeling of care, love, affection, that is so um, lit up, literally or figuratively, so lit up that it actually feels good. That's why compassion is one of the heavenly abodes, that's why when you do compassion practice, when you engage in compassion for yourself oh, or for others, it actually feels good. You feel like you're in the heavenly realm. That is very, very different from empathic distress. 
or empathy fatigue, which doesn't have those those filial, those empathy, those the, sorry, the, the warm, the loving feelings. Does that make sense? Is that clear? I think I'm going over this many times, but I just want it to be very clear how empathy is part of compassion. It's not the entire thing. Yes, please. So It's not a correct term. It's not a. It's used, you know. Can't change the, you know, the terminology. But but it's really the a deeper understanding. It is empathy fatigue. Because compassion, again, when when it's done appropriately with this sense of care, it actually feels good and wholesome, and yeah. Any other questions before we move on? You want to grab? Oh, wait, we haven't got there yet. We haven't got to how yet. We're just defining. We're just defining definitions. What it is, what it isn't. (laughs) Hang in there. Hang in there. Okay. All right. Any questions about definitions? On the empathetic uh, distress, yeah. um, it causes this aloofness usually. Yeah, yeah. It just sort of like, like where's a hole I can put my head in? Right, and, of course. Yeah. Comment? Is that? It's or, awful. It's <laughs> awful. It is pretty awful. Yeah. Because it, it causes, in some ways, it's a vicious cycle because then it causes much more suffering. In yourself. Great. I am so glad that you said this because so so this so I'll say this now because this is going to be part of the instructions that I will give. But this is a perfect time to make this point. So at any I'll point, take the five dollars later. <laughs> so so at any point in the meditation practice, when um, you feel that you're you know, you're getting into empathetic distress, it's not like, stop, empathetic distress, like, oh, oh, then you turn towards yourself. Because just as you said, it feels awful. You're the one who's hurting at that point. So the practice of compassion for others at that point becomes self-compassion. You change it. So this practice, you need to be responsive any moment you twist and turn. Just because Nikki is guiding us in compassion for whatever, our friend, doesn't mean that you stick to it. Like if your friend has just had an awful time and, and you're doing it, you're doing it after five minutes, you're like, oh my goodness, you're just like, you, it's, it's too painful. Like, okay, wow, dear, you're having a really hard time. You turn it to yourself, to become self-compassion. You're really hurting for your friend. It's okay. You, so, so that's what you do when that happens. What you're talking about, this awful thing that happens when you get into empathic distress, you just don't turn away and say, okay, we're done, right? What you do instead, you do self-compassion. Yes? Does that make sense? What, what, I, I, I'll speak about it. 
I have to repeat it then because it's it's recorded and and some people are going to be. I know, I know, Mike's. What what? Because of what what I do sometimes for a living, I you know I always talk about how I will absorb somebody's not suffering but their difficulties, and every once in a while I I sort of like say it's like a sponge getting full. Yeah. And I sort of like go, okay, the sponge is full, so I just need to squeeze the z- zoots out of it. <laughs> so that's in, I, that may be an aloofness also, but, yeah. but the squeezing of the sponge is somewhat of a self-compassion. Yeah. So how about, how about, so, so, so the image that you're giving, you know, a lot of times the metaphors that we use... Um, the metaphors really determine the course of how we are in the world and, and how we feel and how we think. So, so how about a slightly different metaphor to try on for size, right? So, so this idea of absorbing their, what was it, gunk or their, their suffering, or I forget the technical word you Schmutz. used. <laughs> Schmutz, was it? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it's a legal word. Is it a legal word? Oh, yes, okay. Um, How about in that time, so it's in real time, so that there is an active compassion for them, so maybe you're not just engaging with their suffering, but you're actually actively bringing in a sense of care and and wishing for them. And maybe in that real time, if if it gets too much, like you just take a pause for a moment, and you just practice, may you be free from the suffering. I know you're having a really hard time. I wish you well. I wish you ease. I know this is hard. I wish you well. I wish you ease. May you be free from this. Like in real time, so that the, it's not... And, and then it be, when it becomes a practice, it becomes, it becomes interactive. So, so the sponge doesn't need to be full and empty and all of that. Right, and if if you realize again in real time that you're having overwhelm yourself, you take care of yourself in real time. So, and and I'll 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 leave it as an exercise to you to come up with another visual metaphor for that. Ice cream sundaes. Ice cream sundaes. <laughs> yeah. So, I want to say a few more words about what compassion is not. So, which is important. So, I want to talk about um, in in the classical terms. It's actually kind of cute. I like it um, for compassion. For um, karuna, there is a near enemy, and there is a far enemy. So, the far enemy is a, a kind of an archaic, sweet way to say it's opposite. The opposite of compassion, and the near enemy is what kind of looks like compassion, but it's not the real thing. It's masquerading. It's a masquerader. So I want to talk about the masquerader of compassion and the opposite of compassion. Okay. So the masquerader of compassion, we've already talked about empathy alone, empathetic distress, or grief, overwhelm, anguish. These are all masqueraders. We feel, we think we're being compassionate, 
but actually these are the masqueraders, these are the near enemies. So we're immersing or identifying with the suffering of others. And it's again, it's like jumping into the waves with them. Now somebody needs to help both of us. Another near enemy is pity. Pity is not compassion. This is an interesting one. So pity has a sense of comparison. Is it less than, oh, poor you, oh, oh, you just lost your job, oh, and in your mind, oh, that would never happen to me. Like, oh, you poor you, I'm so sorry for you, oh, you poor you down there, right? It's kind of like a feeling of less than. Um, and also it has a sense of, sense of pity, has a sense of separateness, has a sense of distance um, that gratifies the ego, that it's just gratifying your own ego, that, oh, it's them, this is their problem, it's, you know, it's not me, we're separate. Uh, poor them, poor them with their lot in life. Oh, poor you, poor them with their lot in life. Instead of, this could be me. This could be me. I suffer in the same way. I could suffer in the same way. I have suffered in the same way. Or I could. I'm not immune. So, with compassion, it's this idea of common humanity. Again, this morning as I was uh, suggesting that you, when you're sitting in your triad, you feel the common humanity with the people, that they're just like you. They're not so different from you. So compassion has that framework. Whereas pity has a separateness, less than. Now, to the far enemies or the opposites, one is cruelty. That's an easy one, right? It's the, it's the opposite of compassion, it's cruelty. Somebody's suffering and you're cruel to them. The other one is schadenfreude. This great German compound words. I love the Germans. They, they take all these words, put them together, make meanings. Happiness at others' misfortune is the opposite of, of compassion. Somebody's suffering, but you're happy for them. Ouch. That's obviously the opposite. So, so I'm going to pause, and I would like us to do a guided meditation on actually cultivating compa- and compassion practice before lunch. So any quick questions before getting to the guided meditation? In fact, actually, it might be good to just stand up and stretch your legs before you said you've been sitting for a little while. Stretch your legs. Oh. Stretch your legs. Oxygenate a little more so that you don't fall asleep. Get up, move. Okay. Okay. 
Question, how many of you are completely new to the practice of either um, metta, loving-kindness meditation, or compassion meditation? I've never done it before. Okay, great. Be proud, great. Keep your hands up, great. Okay, fantastic, good. Okay, okay. good to know. Okay, so I invite you to get into your posture, into your meditation posture. Ah, settling, arriving, arriving in your body, arriving with your breath, feeling your breath move in and out. With each breath arriving more, settling more. Ah, just this breath, just this breath. Arriving, arriving more in this body. I'd like to invite you to bring to mind the image of someone that you care about. Someone for whom your affection flows with ease. You have an uncomplicated relationship with them. Maybe a child or a pet. We're going to start where it's really easy right now with this first category. It's really easy. So bring to mind someone who's easy for you. Your care, your affection, your metta. We're going to start with metta, loving kindness first. And when you have this person, this being in your mind's eye, if you're visual, their image or their felt sense, notice what comes up in you, this feeling of happiness or safety or just goodwill for them. You're happy to be reminded of them. And from this sense of connection, let there be a sense of the goodwill, the metta, the friendliness, care, for it to flow with some phrases of metta. If you have your own phrases, you can say them. And I'm going to offer the simplified phrases today. May you be happy. May you be well.
Again, keeping their image in mind, their felt sense, as if they're right in front of you. That's number one. Number two is notice the feeling that comes up in you. Maybe a smile. Then number three are the phrases of goodwill. May you be well. May you be happy. May you be well. May you be happy. keeping their image in your mind's eye as clearly as you can. Maybe seeing them, their natural environment, doing what they do. And maybe if you'd like to experiment with putting your hand in your heart center in the middle of your chest to connect with your goodwill for them. May you be happy, dear one. May you be well. May you be happy, dear one. May you be well. If it ever fades, just continue, both with the phrases to keep you connected and bring up their image. Their images, their image or felt sense, whatever works for you. And trust that even if you're not feeling anything, you're planting seeds. Seeds of friendliness. Metta. Now having primed our heart with loving-kindness, with metta-friendliness, goodwill, turning the practice to compassion by bringing up something in the life of this being, this dear friend, child or pet, that's it's been a little challenging. Maybe not the biggest challenge ever, but something that's a little challenging. 
for them. Just feeling into that and holding that with the same care. As your, as your heart is primed with kindness. Recollecting their suffering, their challenge, their difficulty. Might be something they're going through right now still. And as you connect with this challenge for them, this difficulty, this suffering, as your heart is primed with goodwill and care, letting phrases of compassion flow. I wish you ease. I wish you ease from the suffering, dear one. May you be free from this pain, from this challenge, or from this suffering. You can add their name if you want. or dear so-and-so. I acknowledge this is hard for you. This is challenging. And I wish you ease. May you be free. Staying in touch with the felt sense of this person, this being, the challenge in their life, and with the goodwill, holding it with goodwill. be free from the sorrow. May you have ease. I care for your pain. I care for your suffering. I care for you. And I wish you freedom from this difficulty. I 
I wish you ease. And remember at any point, if empathic distress comes up, your practice becomes self-compassion, holding your own suffering and challenge with care and love. Whatever is the appropriate response. May you be free from the suffering. May you know peace. May you be happy. It's acknowledging, not condoning the challenge. And as if, as if you're each breath was a breath of solace, a wish for their solace. Connecting, if it works for you, connecting the rhythm of your breath with the phrases. Some people find that helpful. each breath being an offering to the world, a wish for their peace, for their ease. May you be free from suffering. May you know peace. May you be happy, dear one.
so we spend this morning really getting into the practice of compassion cultivation and we're front-loaded I front-loaded the morning with a lot of conversation and and definitions and explorations this afternoon we'll have a lot more practice um, meditative practice both guided sitting walking with the different um, ways of exploring this we'll be spending the first part of the afternoon after lunch with self-compassion which is so important um, and then we'll move on to some other categories. So there will be less, yeah, there will be more more meditative and more space. So if that's what you came up for, be more of that in the afternoon. Any quick questions that came up for you from this practice um, just now? Yes, please. Hello. Yeah. The person I chose, I you know, you said an uncomplicated relationship. Yeah. And then I I couldn't connect with any sense of her suffering. Somehow I didn't I think part of why she's uncomplicated for me is uh, that she seems so balanced and happy. So, I mean, I was dredging up things, but they didn't feel, there wasn't much traction there. So then I thought, I decided to switch to my brother, but I didn't, there wasn't a lot of time for that, and that was, there was more... It was still uncomplicated, but there was more um, reality of right. suffering. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's a great question. A couple of things. One is that um, even in the cases where we're not completely t- touching in with the suffering, there's always the suffering of having a body and pain and old age and loss it's so so there there's always suffering, even if we're not connecting with it. So, so. So can um, invite more creativity or just switch, just as you did. So what I would invite you actually to experiment with is um, you know, the lunchtime would be an hour. And if you choose, you, for part of the time you can, experiment, you can take time to experiment with your brother uh, in, in, and see how that works. Yeah. There's someone behind you with your hand. So I had, oh yes, way behind you. Just have a, a um, how do you stay awake? I keep falling asleep. Oh, Every yeah. time I meditate, doesn't matter what time of day, first thing in the morning, I'm falling asleep. Yeah. And so it was frustrating for me because yeah. I, I was going in and out yeah. of this meditation, yeah. but so aware that I 
was going to hit my head on the Aww. chair in front of me. So so I opened my eyes, yeah. but that doesn't help me. So I'm yeah. just wondering if I'm the yeah. only one who's having this problem. Anybody else being visited by sleepiness? <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. So a cu- couple of tips. One is, do you tend to be sleep-deprived in your life? Maybe a little. That's usually it. But yeah, that's usually it. Because if you're falling asleep in the morning or any time you exercise, because when you close your eyes and actually, it kind of means that meditation is working. Because you get to, you get peaceful. You become peaceful and your mind goes, Ooh, sleep that. That's the first stop. That's the very first stop. When that satisfies, like, okay, now we're satisfied the debt. Now we can attend to other things, meditation. So that's probably what's happening. So, um, um, and then now that, you know, you can't go back home and sleep for the afternoon, but so, so what the suggestion I have for today is, um, is feel free to open your eyes, a soft gaze in front of you, just a soft gaze to take in light. And, um, the best thing, also, I'm going to suggest that actually in the afternoon, after lunch, because many more people are going to be visited by sleepiness, is to do standing meditation. So, and I'll model that this afternoon. So, standing, it's kind of hard to fall asleep with your eyes open standing. Let's hope so. <laughs> if you do, let me know. I'll be very impressed. Okay, great. So, one last question. Let's make this the last one before lunch. Mike. Yeah, I was interested in this other question. Sometimes when I've been in here on Sundays and I've tried to extend meta to Gil, I think, oh, Gil doesn't need my meta. He can take care of himself. Um, And I'm I'm just curious if there's other advice you have in caring for people who seem to, you know, be in a good spot um, other than just, you know, extend your meta to someone else. Yeah, yeah. So... So this is, this is I'm, I'm glad you're extending that question. Um, see, metta, so, so compassion and metta are a little different. So metta, everybody is deserving of your metta, of your friendliness. May you be safe, may you be happy, may you be well, may you have ease, right? So it's just an expression of goodwill. So if you come on Sunday and you see Gil, he seems to be perfectly fine and happy, still you can practice metta for him because metta, loving kindness, is an expression of your goodwill. This expression of your goodwill towards this person, right? So the question really was about compassion, was about finding something that's suffering, that's challenging in this person's life. So again, you come Sunday, you want to practice compassion with Gil. Like, hmm, you can be sure he has suffering in his life, (laughs) right? Everybody does, right? Everybody does. And... You know, some people might seem to be better with it or, or having more challenges, but everybody has suffering. I think because you're doing it with your mind and you're imagining this person... You okay, want you want to take the mic? Be, because you're, it's sort of, uh, you know, you're imagining them like we were now. They're not right in front of you. Yeah. Uh-huh. And And somehow if you can't, find their suffering it seems so abstract yeah it's so that's why so it's um 
I see what you're saying. And and also to say, um, I intentionally led the meditation this morning a little non-traditionally. Um, so it's more traditional to start with someone for whom... Um, you're, uh, they're, 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 they're ha- they have challenges in their life, so they can easily connect with it. But I wanted to prime everybody's heart with metta. And metta, we start with person that's easy for us, uncomplicated. So, so that's why it was, could have been a little bumpy for you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, so we want to start metta where it's easy. We want to start compassion where it's easy. Metta where it's easy is somebody we have uncomplicated relationship Compassion where it's easy is somebody we know who's having challenge. I kind of try to bring them together, but I see some people had bumps. So that's, that's what it is. So in the afternoon, we'll start with someone who's having challenges in their life. Because we're already primed. Our hearts are already primed with metta. And I guess I could have switched the person. Maybe next time I'll switch so that there's, there's not this bumpiness. Yeah, good point. Any other? I think you had something quick. Is it helpful to group, or you want to come up? Because I want to make sure it uh, lunch doesn't get too late. You tell. I was just wondering: is um, is empathy always necessary to be present to have compassion? I mean, can you have compassion without necessarily empathy? Um, I would say no, and I'm curious why that's coming up for you. No, I was just wondering if. No, well, I, uh, during this meditation, I um, w- was a specific person, a s- specific life situation, which I've always had compassion for. But I, I kind of really put myself into that life situation, yeah. like really yeah, yeah. kind of feel it. And yeah. it, it felt, you know, different, like even more pronounced. So I, I, I guess it, it just seemed like empathy is necessary to be yeah. compassionate. But then I was just starting to wonder, well, yeah. can you just be compassionate to someone without necessarily being able to put yourself into their situation. Not really. Not really. Whether you're actually actively doing it, in this case that you were actively putting yourself in their situation, imagining it, or whether it's it's automatically happening with your mirror neurons, oh, kind of feeling their pain. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by empathy. You're kind of feeling their pain, either imagining yourself in their situation, that's more active, or kind of feeling their pain naturally, that's empathy. So, therefore, yes, empathy needs to be present in whichever form, whether it's natural arising of you feeling their pain, kind of like ouching with them, mm-hmm. the mirror neurons doing their thing, or are you actively putting yourself in their situation. So would that mean that someone who's like sociopathic would not be able to be compassionate? Is that... Yeah. Unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. And on that note, <laughs> uh, okay, well, I'll, it's been fun already this morning, and I hope uh, um, um, nurturing and, 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 and um, I want to say enlightening, but compassionatizing. Oh, gosh, that's... Anyway, you know what I mean. Hope it's been... already fruitful so I guess we are stopping for lunch now at 12.38 let's come back at 1.40 so 1.40 is when we come back 
for the afternoon session. So lunch is a speaking lunch. Let me stop this.